Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Mavericks. Your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Welcome to Locked On Mavericks for Monday, November 28th in the year 2016. Solo pod. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, Because why the hell not? Actually, you know what? I'm not sorry about it. It's not my fault. So (laughs) you'll just have to deal with it. Uh, Jake will be back tomorrow. And we'll get rolling on some uh, other issues of the day. But today we have a Dallas Mavericks victory to pick over. So we'll get to that in just a second. But thank you for listening to Locked On Mavericks. We're part of the greater Locked On Podcast Network. If you have a favorite football team, go check that out. If you do fantasy sports, we got you covered there as well. And I heard there's a NBA draft uh, podcast being put together at this moment. We'll let you know when that, uh, that arrives in the feed. But yeah, thank you. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Maybe check on uh, Locked On Cowboys as they're getting to review, I don't know, what, two to three MVP candidates on a daily basis. <laughs> a little bit different than what we're working with, but uh, we push forward. And it is a Lockdown Mavericks podcast, and we're brought to you by SeatGeek. Uh, SeatGeek is a, uh, a brilliant app, a brilliant website. They gather up all the tickets from other vendors, throw them in one spot for you so you don't waste time surfing around the Internet, uh, trying to find the best deal. They're all on SeatGeek. And if you go on SeatGeek, you can, uh, via the app, you can check out uh, good value tickets will be green. They do, they take away that uh, that process for you. You know it's going to be good value. Bad will be red. So you're not getting scammed. You're not uh, buying the first ticket that pops up in front of you and walking out of there with buyer's remorse. No, no, no. SeatGeek is legit. They're the best at what they do in the business. And uh, you should use SeatGeek to uh, get you some uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers tickets, January 8th. Uh, Cowboys, of course. This... Uh, this Thursday, they're in Minnesota, but uh, after that, they are uh, hosting the Buccaneers on the 18th of December. Get those tickets, maybe some Lions tickets for a Monday night uh, extravaganza on December 26th after Christmas. They already have tickets up for the weekend coming through uh, next May and uh, Green Day in March as well. And uh, you can save you a little bit of money off the top of those tickets by using the promo code LOMAVS whenever you use the SeatGeek app. So you go in there, you open the SeatGeek app on your Android or iPhone, you go to the Me tab, you uh, hit the bar that says enter promo code, and you put in LOMAVS, and uh, 20 bucks right off the top. They'll either uh, Venmo it back to you, or they'll uh, mail you a rebate of $20. So whatever that price is, scrape 20 off the top, and that's your real price. And uh, you can use them maybe to go see uh, Markel Fultz over at uh, TCU on Wednesday night, which is exactly what I'm doing. So if you want to party over on uh, Fort Worthway, I <laughs> got some lower bowl tickets for a pretty good price to go see Markel Fultz via SeatGeek. So I would uh, advise you to do that, but uh, let's get on with it. 
Mavs win 91-81 at home against the Pelicans without Dirk Nowitzki. Their first win in 19 days, starting off a, uh, a pretty heavy uh, home portion of the schedule where eight of the uh, the next ten are at the American Airlines Center. So a lot of post-game shows from me and Jacob on Sports Radio 1310, The Ticket. Uh, by the way, my name is Mike Marshall. You probably already know that by now. You're probably a regular listener. But if you're not, I'm Mike Marshall. You can follow me at Machine Sports on Twitter. You can listen to my radio show uh, Saturdays 10 to noon on Sports Radio 1310, The Ticket. And uh, a lot of random days in December I'm filling in, too. So check that out. But, um, yeah, they beat the Pelicans, which... Pelicans have been playing better since Drew Holiday came back, but there's still a lot of sorry in and around that team, um, particularly when they play some veteran teams that can uh, clamp down defensively. They're what I like to call a thermostat team, where they're going to play to whatever style you want to play to, unless Anthony Davis is just going beast mode and Drew Holiday takes over, because all the secondary scorers on that team are incredibly average, just very uh, non-effective veteran-type dudes that I have no time for quite honestly, unless they're dudes that could maybe flourish on a really good team. But here, I just see them as a stopgap that's uh, taking minutes away from someone like, I know Buddy Hield hasn't been great, but that's their future, so <laughs> might as well get to it. So nobody besides Holiday or AD scored in double, double figures for the Pelicans. Uh, and that on top of the fact that they're a really bad defensive team. They allow 106 points per game. Uh, they're bottom three and assists allowed per game, so you can tell they don't diagnose plays. They don't cut off passing lanes. They let people get deep into the paint and catch the ball. And AD can't fix it all. Agenza's awful defensively. Um, Ashik is pretty average. And then you get into what the real issue is, which it is Buddy Heald, Solomon Hill, Tim Frazier are all a 105 defensive rating or worse. So you get a feel for them and why the uh, – the Mavericks were able to manipulate them defensively. We got the return of Darren Williams. Um, not necessarily his play is what makes me think they can be a little bit better basketball team with him out there. Because, I mean, he's fine. He's like a perfectly slightly above average point guard right now. I guess in terms of overall play, I wouldn't say he's a top 10, top 12, maybe even 15 point guard in the league in terms of raw talent upside. But him sliding back in there, playing 20 minutes, 9 points, 4 assists, Getting anything out of another guard, uh, not named Seth Curry at this point, is a luxury. And he just lets everybody slide back down to their natural slot. Seth can play off ball, um, and it just fits better. And I said they wouldn't win a game until Darren Williams or J.J. Barea play again. And Darren Williams played, and everything was back to kind of normal. I really loved the, uh, the game that Harrison Barnes put together. The temperament, the approach, recognizing mismatches really quickly, often... Uh, in offensive possessions, and attacking. And uh, in the fourth quarter, he did what he's been doing for a while now. He turned it on. He had 11 points, um, but this time he actually had a sidekick. This is exactly like the Boston game to me, except for uh, they actually finished it. They finished it out. So Barnes puts up 11 points, and West puts up 12 in the fourth. So they combine for 23. That makes things pretty easy. Um, an update on those Harrison Barnes stats. Uh, isolation through, what is it? We've got 15 games in the books. He is sixth in the league in, uh, in isolation points per possession at 1.02. Now that it's normalizing, somewhere around 8 to, or 0.8 to 0.85 is kind of average in isolation possessions. So 102 is very, very good. 
Um, and he's using isolation 29% of the time. So they're leaning on him, and he's delivering. He's coming back down to normal just a little bit, but it's still an excellent uh, output, uh, average output for him. So he's second in the NBA in post-ups and points per possession at 1.085, which he's really turned on of late. He's top 25 as a uh, pick-and-roll roll man in terms of points per possession. So the isolation stuff has fallen off just a touch, but everything else is uh, is on the uptick, particularly post-ups, which is encouraging to see because I wanted to see what other wrinkles he had. That's definitely one. That's in his pocket at this point. He can rely on that and not just work on, you know, getting the ball 18 foot, uh, 18 feet from the baskets, uh, jab step, and um, at a 45-degree angle and try and dunk and or, you know, hit the air brakes and pull up. So he has other things that he's been um, adding on to his repertoire. Wesley Matthews, um, he didn't miss a shot in the fourth quarter, so <laughs> that's pretty good. The only shot that he missed was a free throw. Uh, 12 points total in the frame. And now over the last eight games, I know no one's watching necessarily that much and they aren't giving him credit for his play at this point in the season because the beginning of this season was so bad for Wes. Um, But he's made 27 of his last 56 threes over his last eight games, which is a 48.2 field goal percentage from three. That's awesome. Like, and that's a big chunk of games. Usually you don't do last eight whenever you're trying to make a quotable stat, whenever you're trying to make stuff fit into your narrative. Usually it's like four, maybe five if you're lucky. But over the last eight, 48% from three, which is just phenomenal. Uh, he's not taking shots. He's not forcing things, um, at least last night, um, in the possessions that he used. He was running off screens a lot, uh, simple just kind of flare outs that people get him, getting him the ball, and he got hot. And he kept the Mavericks in it and eventually uh, pushed them over the top. Uh, in the fourth quarter, and um, I think we just saw the best game of Justin Anderson's professional career. Uh, Rick said it afterwards, and man, I've been really disappointed by him and Dwight Powell through the first, I guess, 14 games this season. Just, it looked like they regressed. It looked like they had no role, no interest in taking on bigger roles and being bigger cogs of this thing and stepping maybe into more of a, um, you know, just a playmaker type role and they hadn't they had taken their tiny roles and done them poorly but last night Justin Anderson was great it looked like he had a game plan it looked like he was going to drive at the basket try and dunk on you as hard as he could or draw a foul or he's going to shoot the three or the ball's getting out of his hand real quick and that's all he has to do right now honestly and he finished with 14 8 and 2 and he outplayed all of New Orleans uh wing players uh healed Solomon Hill Etwan Moore, he outplayed all of them. Uh, he actually had more points than uh, than all of them combined, I think. Let me see. Hill had nine. Etwan Moore didn't score. Um, Buddy Heald had five. So, yeah, he tied the output for Heald, Hill, and Etwan Moore by himself. And it wasn't anything spectacular. It was just determination. Um, catch the ball on the wing. If you've got a, any kind of leverage, heavy power dribble, uh, left hand, and take it at the rack. And if they're playing off you, shoot the three and shoot it with confidence. Step into it. Um, The second half ball movement overall was maybe my favorite uh, half of basketball for the Mavericks offense since, I don't know, second game against Houston or something like that. Um, It was really flying around. And the Pelicans let you do that. They don't pressure ball very well. They don't pressure passing lanes. But still, you've got to do it. The Mavericks have been letting other teams dictate everything they've done. 
uh, over the last maybe 10 games. And last night they dictated uh, where they wanted to make the the Pelicans play. And Dwight Powell was freaking awesome. I know the numbers aren't going to bear out to a like eye-popping performance necessarily, but his activity was spectacular. Uh, I think he had five steals. He didn't have five steals. Five steals, four points, uh, three boards. And honestly, they don't need a ton more than that from him except to make the other team's big work, which they did. Anthony Davis scored 36, but he worked for him. He got punished quite a bit, and they did some uh, pretty nifty pull-the-chair moves on him. We ended up, ended up on his back in the lane, which is, as a big man, that's just annoying. <laughs> Overall, you get pretty frustrated. But um, that's all they need from Dwight Powell. They need his activity. They need his energy. They don't need him. They don't need his elbow jump shooting. They don't even necessarily need his pick and roll um, dives and dunks at the basket. Like they can, uh, they can manufacture points in other ways. What they need is his activity and his defensive presence. What he can bring. And uh, last night it was really good. I know it's not going to be go down as a, uh, you know, the game score for him. I don't know if it was off the charts or anything like that, but. Five steals for that dude is awesome. So it looks like this Dirk Nowitzki Achilles injury is going to linger on into December. Um, I heard different reports of, uh, I don't think it's a re-injury. Rick didn't address it as it was a re-injury, um, but just that this is the timetable that he has to take. And I don't know if I buy that necessarily. I think he tried to play on it and it got a little bit worse and they decided to give it a couple days rest, but this is going to be a thing going into the future, and maybe this entire season. I have no idea. Um, I know these things don't don't heal quickly, and they don't heal on the timetable that you want them to because you're old, and your Achilles has been um, subject to quite a few miles, um, if you know anything about Dirk Nowitzki and, and his career. But I think I see the blueprint for the future of Dirk Nowitzki. And it comes out of uh, Memphis and how they're using Zach Randolph. And they moved Zach Randolph to the bench this season, and it kind of looked like a demotion. It kind of looked like, oh, okay, well, yeah, Zebo's too slow. He can't play with the first unit. Um, Parsons needs to play the four anyway. Um, and honestly, that situation kind of mirrors Dallas right now in that Barnes needs minutes at the four. Barnes is the future. The future of this franchise is Harrison Barnes at the four. You have nothing else to build around at this moment. You can't build around a J.J. Barea, Dirk Nowinski pick-and-roll game uh, in 2016 and 2017 going forward. You have to have something that's repeatable on a nightly basis that uh, is an elite skill set, and that's Harrison Barnes playing the four. He can uh, – last night it was kind of a, it was adorable whenever they tried to put Solomon Hill on him on the wing, whenever they tried to put Buddy Heald on him on the wing. He just either blew by those dudes or bodied them. So that's one thing. That's a building block. That's a cornerstone. You can make a offense, um, I don't know if it would be an elite offense, but it would be a, a good offense off of Harrison Barnes playing the four and what he's shown out of isolation and uh, in post-ups and even pick-and-roll dive, man. But in terms of Dirk, what that means is coming off the bench. And if you have Dirk coming off the bench the same way that Memphis is using Zach Randolph right now, which is above a 30% usage rate whenever he's on the court, so there's no fitting into the second unit. The second unit is now about you. Um, and whenever Bray gets back, and if Bray is here uh, into the future, which he's locked in for next year, but imagine your second unit being J.J. Barea, Seth Curry spotting up um, weak side off a Dirk and J.J. Barea pick and pop or pick and roll. 
if if they dive with it. And then Seth Curry waiting weak side. And then you have Dwight Powell maybe running that double screen dive thing that they've done with Harrison Barnes quite a few th- few times where he pretends like he's setting the second screen on a pick and roll and just dives at the basket. I think that's something that could be an advantage over other teams' second units. How many teams are going to have the luxury of having a player that can defend Berea off the bench in a pick-and-roll situation and a guy that can get out and get a hand in Dirk's face? I don't think those kind of bench players exist. So what Memphis has done with Randolph, they move him to the bench, they use him over 30%. Um, He uses up his energy like he plays a lot harder, a lot faster than he usually does because he knows he's only out there for a limited amount of minutes. And if you want to use Dirk in the last five minutes of the game, that's perfectly fine. You slide him in there, and you bump Harrison Barnes down. So the positional flex is is awesome. So I think that's the blueprint. I don't know if it happens this season. I'd be encouraged if it did. I'd really like it. Um, but maybe next season, if Dirk ag- agrees to come back and they uh, they sign a new deal for him, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see it tried. Because Memphis is working great. Um, and granted, I don't like being copycat. I don't like doing things exactly the same way other te- other teams do, especially with the uh, unu- uniqueness of Dirk Nowitzki. But I like the idea. I'd like to try it. So there you go. I'm sure we'll talk about that when we're going into the future. Um, Mark Cuban had some comments on tanking about how he's not really uh, really liking that idea. Um, there's an article on Fansided that's pretty interesting as well about Harrison Barnes, the new Dirk Nowitzki. So I'm sure we'll pick over that in the next few days. Thank you for listening. Next game is uh, Wednesday night, hosting the Spurs at the AAC, and then they fly out the next day, or probably that night, to Charlotte to play the Hornets. So thank you for listening to Locked On Mavs. Please uh, subscribe. Please rate and review. And uh, we will see you tomorrow with a better podcast because it won't be me just blabbering for 15 minutes. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.